Hi. Hello. Hey. How you doing? So good. <laughs> Welcome back to the Wine About Birth podcast. We are three birth professionals and best friends. And we're here to talk about what it's really like to live in the world of birth. It's not all glitter and rainbows. Or as we like to say, it's a lot more shit than giggles. I'm Kim Haynes, midwife at a busy birth center and a small home birth practice with Meredith Routh, who is still not here. <laughs> I'm Jess McKee. I'm a doula and a birth assistant at that same out-of-hospital practice with Meredith Routh, who again is, is still not, not here. here. <laughs> doing the important work. Doing the important work. Um, so we just got done sharing our birth stories and um, we noticed a reoccurring theme while we were doing that that kept coming up. And it happens all the time. Like we always talk about how positive words can influence a birth. But when we were listening to the birth stories, we heard a lot of surprising comments that were made to us that weren't so positive and how those affected us in labor. So we thought today we could talk about... How the words that are said to people can affect, and not actually even just affect how they feel, but actually can change the outcome of your birth because of how our brain works when we're in labor. And so um, so we can talk about it positively, how positive words can help our birth go more positive, and negatively, how negative words, because sometimes we don't even realize when it's happening to us how the, how the negative words affect us. It'll, we'll just maybe just like brush it off or be like oh and then she said this and it's like you kept doing that a lot just like and then the doctor said this and you're like but I love my birth yeah <laughs> and so it's like but but you still those things still stuck with you right even though you loved your birth you still remember the negative things being said to you and we were taking our I remember Penny Simpkin was talking about you know 14 14 years ago when we did our certification together that the birth could be amazing and everything could go perfectly but if even one negative thing is said that is going to be what she remembers and that mm -hmm. is what happened to me in my hospital birth like from an outsider's standpoint that birth could not could not have gone any any easier yeah fast it was awesome but all I remember not all I remember but I do remember mostly the negative things that were said and it's mm -hmm. it's, it's true and on the flip side if someone has like one of my births, I have had four babies this week. It's been a it's been a crazy week. <laughs> it was a crazy week, and one of those did end in a C section, and and I was devastated. Her doula was devastated, but she doesn't seem to be. Not that she's not upset by it, but I think due to us being so positive and supporting, and her family being so supportive and. She was just so happy to have her baby in the end. And not yeah. everyone has that outcome and that, like, feeling. Yeah. Um, but I can't help but think, like, what if she had just gone to the hospital and didn't have any support and just was given a C-section? Would she still be happy? Well, I think about what you were saying about that birth, about how while she was working so hard, even though it looked like things might not work out the way everyone wanted them to, um, she was having constant positive affirmation um, about you're doing so awesome. You're working so hard. You're so strong. You're so strong. I don't know how you haven't quit by now. <laughs> yeah. And I was just thinking along the lines of the opposite of what was said to you. Like, you're just not trying hard enough. Yes. And it's the complete opposite thing. But it was like, y you remember that and you push your baby out of your vagina she did. did not get to do that. No. But she was still being told her strength. And that sticks with you when people tell you that you're strong and you're doing well as opposed to 
the opposite. So it's like, it's a warning out there for, for moms because this applies not just to birth. It applies to life. It applies to how we parent. Parenting. Oh, huge. But it's also for birth workers because we can get to a point where it's like, and we've talked about this before, it's just like kind of blasé. It's like, okay, going to see another baby being born. Yeah. And we might stop being so um, careful about how we word things. Because sometimes you need to tell people something that they're not going to want to hear. I think that's why I have that alternate personality. Because when I talk to you, I'm just like, ah, yeah. that baby's not coming out of her vagina. God damn it. I'm gonna, ah. yeah. And then I go upstairs and I'm like, so. <laughs> because <laughs> This we, is what's <laughs> happening. Because we don't want to be the person to cause, you know, or when you talk to your kids, I always start with like, first off, I love you very much. But secondly, what you're doing is driving me crazy. Like, yes, I don't know. It's hard, but I, I always joke that I don't have feelings. We both joke that we don't have feelings, which is a lie. We do. We We do have feelings, but I think the older we get, it just takes more to evoke those feelings. Yes. But I, when I was pushing Oscar out, I just, I will never forget the feeling of like, I was in my mind, I had made that switch. And that's my favorite part of birth is when the moms make that switch where they go from like, I don't know if I can do this. And then all of a sudden it's like, they're this birth goddess that's on. They're going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Gives me chills every time. And I love it. And that's when the partner always gets that look in their eye. Like, holy shit, she's amazing. Yeah. And so I had already made that switch and I was doing it and I was going to do it. And then as soon as she said, she's just not trying hard enough, every bit of me just died on the inside I just stopped I stopped pushing I stopped caring because in my mind like if I was working this hard and still they thought poorly of my efforts then why was I even bothering what's the point and I feel like kids probably feel that way too (laughs) when they're working really hard and some more than others (laughs) some more than others some are are more uh open to that input um but it is it's so true But I wanted to talk about how it doesn't just affect your feelings because when it comes to birth, your feelings and what your body does are so intricately entwined. And so I know I love talking about the cascade of hormones in birth. And it's why we always repeat like a broken record, like you need to give birth in the place where you feel safest with people you feel safe with um, because if you don't feel safe, like your body can stop you from going into labor um, and it can also make your labor not work well. And so when you feel safe, you make more oxytocin. Oxytocin is a, the bonding love hormone. So it only is made well in spaces where you feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so then if you're with a provider that doesn't make you feel safe, And then they're saying things like, this baby's too big. You may not be able to push it out. I just don't know if she she can do this. I just don't think she's got it in her. Yeah. Or like. Just give her the epidural. Or if she's acting. She'll be able to rest. If she's acting like this now at five centimeters, there's no way she's going to be able to do it at eight. Right. Can you maybe not scream so loud? You're bothering the people in the other room. Yeah. And and that makes you feel less safe. So. And then you're going to release more hormones that are going to cause adrenaline. Then you're going to be in more pain. And then your labor could stall, which could lead to interventions, which could lead to the very thing happening that you don't want to. So the way we use words in birth can actually make or break somebody's birth. Yeah, the outcome. Because if you're not, so for for just 
because my example is the easiest for me to use. Like, what if, what if I did have to push? What if I just gave up? What if I was a prime ip? I mean, yeah. I had already had a baby. So me stopping and, and not trying anymore and whatever that they can just pull, still pull him out. But what mm-hmm. if I were a prime ip and or first time birther and my efforts were needed? Yeah. And I, and I do think I still kept pushing because I do like a challenge, but but what if it was a primip and I just gave up and yeah. just laid there? There have been numerous transfers, near transfers for me, where the mom, where, you know, the baby suddenly starts to decel and I can see the baby's head. And I yeah. know I have to call EMS. This yep. baby's either going to come out or it's not. If I said to that woman, listen, I just I just don't think this is going to happen and I'm calling EMS, they would just stop pushing. She would just stop. She would, would just be, be completely deflated. But you do that whole, you know, you try to rally them and you, you yeah. make them look you in the face and you say, I know you have it in you. I know you can do this for this baby and you're going to dig deep and pull out all that energy that I know you have because you're a fucking badass. Yeah. And you push this kid out before they get here and it works yeah. because they believe you. Yeah. And the, and because it's true, they do have it in them, they and they do. are badass. And we can either help bring out that badass in them, or stuff the it baby down. and you, <laughs> that badass <laughs> baby and you, or we can take away your power, take away your badassery, and um, that's a really powerful thing that we have. And and maybe maybe the baby will not fit. Maybe the baby will not fit. That, that does happen occasionally. It does happen occasionally. But still, if I say all these things to the mom and they give 100%, like, all out, if they do end up with a C-section, mm-hmm. most of them will say to me, like, I feel like I did everything. Not yes. everyone. I know there are some people out there that are listening that we did all these things and you are still traumatized and you still haven't processed. And so I understand that is... Well, you can be traumatized and still feel like you did everything, too, and right. are well-supported. Right. That's true. But for some people... It helps them to process and then they get over their trauma because they were given every possible effort. You know what I mean? Yes. Or every possible chance. And yeah, I just think it makes a huge difference. Oh, it it definitely does. And then I I wanted to, we'll probably come back to care providers, but I wanted to focus as well that for people, this also includes how you speak to yourself, your internal dialogue. Um, and so, and that's why we have birth affirmations um, that we try and get people to use. But the thing is, the birth affirmation is only going to work if you believe it. And so we try and do this work prenatally to help people believe it. So some of my favorite birth affirmations, because they can be simple, um, are just like, I can do anything for one minute. So under the concept that's my that, favorite. Yes. I love that one. Under the concept that each contraction is about a minute long. And if you can just do whatever comes along for one minute, then you're gonna be fine. And then you're gonna take your break and Rest you're gonna and relax. do what you need to do to get through your next minute. And then if you have a good provider, a good doula that is their chance to look at you in that rest moment and say, Listen, that was hard and you did it. This is the hardest thing you're ever gonna do, but you're doing it. Enjoy the break, enjoy the break, and we'll get through the next one. And I also along with that um that saying, I love the saying, you can do anything for one day. Because while you're in labor, it seems that it's like it's never going to end. 
And so reminding people, like, I know this feels forever right now. Like, you're going to be in labor for the rest of your life, but you're not. Tomorrow, this will be, or, you know, at the very most, the day after that, this will yeah. just be a memory, and you will be cuddled up with your baby. I know. I always say, this time tomorrow, you're going to be laying in bed with people waiting on you hand and foot, and that's going to be your only job. This pain will be gone, and this memory will be fading, and you'll just be so happy. Yeah, and so it's like realizing that while it feels so big right then, just like everything passes in your life, this too will. And and, and I'll be like, it seems like I just gave birth yesterday, and now my kids are like 10. Like, it's crazy. Time keeps going by. But this is why you need a provider, a doula, a midwife, someone who can be there to say these positive things to you over and over again. And, and then there are some things that upset people that you would never think. So yeah. you need to process all of those things during your prenatal time. Like when someone says this to me, it really, it upsets me or it worries me. So we need to like cut these words and mm-hmm. these phrases out. Yeah. Some people have triggers that you wouldn't think of as triggers. Um, I found that a lot with people who are um, sexual assault survivors um, that they, they might have certain words that could be used in birth that would trigger Uh, traumatic memories for them. And so I think um, just touching on that, there's a book we've talked about it when survivors give birth. Yeah. It's definitely for care providers. It's not so much for the survivor and it's, it's very um, deep and intense Mm -hmm. and it's, the language is really hard to read, but you should be able to get through it as a provider. It brings attention to things that we say that I never would have thought of. Yeah. Um, It's super helpful to get through those. And I I think I recommend that book before. Yeah. And, and I've seen that with clients of mine who I know had um, sexual trauma. And there can be certain care providers that walk in the room that you know care about that subject. And they are so, um, they're so, like, careful to speak in terms of consent. And this is your decision and what we do to your body. And then there's other care providers that will just walk in and be like, okay, well, now we're going to do this. Now I'm going to check you. Now you're going to lay down. And it's... It doesn't seem to them like a big deal because it's like, this is every day. This is my job, and why would I not say those things? But it's like, um, you're you're telling that person what you're going to do to their body instead of asking them if it's okay to do that to their body. Yes, the power of consent. It's so important. I mean, every single vaginal exam I do, will before I do it, I'll say, and this is how we're going to do it, and you let me know. So take some deep breaths and let me know when you're ready for me Mm -hmm. to go ahead with your exam. So they know, like women should always know they're in control. So yes, that's a really good point. Yeah. Even the way that you're explaining how things are going to go make a huge impact on how they receive the information and then how they process their birth later. Yeah. And so I was thinking about um, during my birth, the thought when the, when a seed gets planted in your mind, when you're in labor, I thought you were going to say in your womb. (laughs) Yes. When a seed gets implanted in your womb, eventually it will have to come out. Sometimes it just strips down your leg (laughs) at church. And that's how it comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. So gross. Um, But I I do remember, and I know there is a way to to speak about it, but if there's a concern about um, different problems happening, like shoulder dystocia or hemorrhage, um, but... I do remember at my birth when those things were mentioned, like I'm, I'm concerned uh, that the way this is going, that there's going to be a shoulder dystocia. I can't 
get rid of. There's you might hemorrhage, and I'm not going to be able to do anything about that. And so, number one, it plants a seed of doubt in your head so that even when I got to the hospital, the seed of doubt was in my head. Well, like, oh, this isn't happening anymore. And it wasn't. It was. I think the words, I won't be able to do anything about that. Exactly. Because that's what, like, when we go to a birth, we realize and sometimes we'll see signs that there could be a shoulder dystocia. And so it's like, okay, we get ready to deal with it. Yeah, you don't. Wow. I'm not going to be able to do anything. Could you? I can't imagine someone saying that to me. I know. I'd be like, well, fuck this. Put me in the car. Take me to the hospital. I'm not yeah. doing this anymore. But it but it also put in my head that, that the birth wasn't going to happen and that I was not going to be able to do it and that I needed somebody else to help me get my baby out. Um, and so, and then even like once I got to the hospital, then like, not caring whether I needed to be on my back or on it's just like no you got to do this like this is what's happening there was no consent involved in any of it imagine if she had said we really need you to do this and we're going to help you through it you may have been able to get through being on your back and maybe yeah and it's not even just the words you say it's um also the way you say them so if someone's saying, because the doctor at the end did say, I really think you can do this. But she was saying it almost in like a, she was disgusted with me that I was having a hard time. Right. It wasn't like, listen, I know you're having a hard time. I know you've been in labor for 24 hours. I know you're in so much pain right now, but I can see the baby's head and you're really almost there. And I really think you can push this baby out. That might have done something completely different than her being like, meh, uh, you <laughs> The baby, you're going to, I think you can do it. What's wrong with you? And it was just like the disgusted tone in her voice. Yeah. And so I like to talk, um, partners need to be like, realize that too, because it's like everybody around you in labor has so much power over how how your brain works and especially the people we're the closest to. And, um, I was thinking about partners when they start to feel uncomfortable in birth and sometimes we we have a tendency to make faces without really thinking about what our face is doing. Not me. You, don't, you never you never do that. I'm the worst. <laughs> you don't. You stay pretty stoic. Um, I think all yeah. the time. I I I have worked hard to do that. Mastered the art because of the poker I've face. realized that if someone looks up. And it could be to us who they're looking at as their care providers, and our faces are like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, oh, <laughs> that they are going to internalize that, yeah. like, "Oh god, something's wrong, something's bad, something's happening." And they're going to shut down. Yeah. If they look around and everyone looks calm, they're like, "Oh, okay, everybody's calm. Things are fine. My their body can keep feeling safe and doing what it needs to do." And it's the same for their partners as well. And I always tell partners prenatally, like, if something's happening that's making you feel comfortable, like, I want you to, number one, come to me and ask me about that. And number two, try and watch your face. Or I'll say, check your face. Right. Look because at your face. Because if you're looking at your partner disgustedly or scared, she's going to look <laughs> Ew, up at what you. Is that? And she is also going to be like, oh, there's something to be disgusted about. Oh, there's something to be scared about. Right. And that, in turn, creates a hormonal response. And that affects what your contractions are doing and how much pain you're feeling and all of those things. On the other hand, I watch partners and I also say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like you just 
take your mom's class. Like once they take your mom's class, I feel like they get it because your mom kind of talks about that. But if a mom is struggling and when she looks to her right and the husband's like, you're so amazing, you're so beautiful, everything is perfect. Like even if it's not, the mom like gets a renewed sense of like, I can do this. Okay, let us worry. Yeah. You know, you guys, you just need to be there and be positive at all times yeah and then if you have a concern sharing it with the mom is not what she should be doing sharing it with your care providers in another area outside of where the mom is is the most helpful to the mom and that's hard to do all the pictures of our hospital birth poor chuck just looks you know he just looks sad you know what i mean and like I i don't know how to explain it just clearly he doesn't know what he can do to help me and you can read it on his face yeah. and nobody was explaining to him what was going on and if they were he wasn't receiving it because I was in pain so yeah yeah so he was in full protection mode with nothing to do with it because he can't like punch people or yell at people or <laughs> drink Bud Light or drink thing. Bud Light in the hospital give me a beer or a joint or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> a bowl who are we kidding yeah <laughs> I was also thinking about how this applies to, like, just everyday life. So, like, in friendship. Um, Because, like, we've been going through a lot of stress and a lot of hard times lately. And I was thinking about in birth, I always tell the the laboring moms, like, um, if you are feeling stressed out about a situation, using your words to voice that stress is also super important. Yeah. Because if not, you hold that stress in and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I tell tell women they try and do this thing. Some women have watched these YouTube birth stories where it's all set to flowy music and you see just the best parts of the birth. Yes. You don't see the hard parts or the parts where the mom is crying or the parts where the mom is having a tough time. Um, and so I always say... So if you hold those things in, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And and people might be trying to to then, in real birth, look like those, like, birth videos that they saw. Like, they just want to be that birthing goddess warrior, which you are a birthing goddess warrior, even if you have to cry or scream or do whatever. Thrash around. And so people will have these concerns in their head, and they won't get them out because they don't want to look needy. Kimberly or they don't want to they they want to just appear strong but then the more the the concerns get bigger and bigger the more it then affects the hormonal response whereas sometimes using your words to release those feelings then if sometimes it can be little things and somebody says oh oh yeah that's not that's normal that's not a bit that's we're not worried about that at all right that is a normal fear concern goes away or is less and then you can go back to making a good hormonal response but I was thinking how that's true in like regular life too because how many times when we're stressed do we like text each other be like I just need a bitch session for a minute just a sec well that numerous times a day all the time (laughs) every we are our constant validators and we'll just be like this torrent of just like and then this happened and then that happened and then they said this and then I said this am I being crazy I'm so sorry I'm doing this to you and we always do that I'm so sorry I'm being crazy I'm so sorry and then but having that validation back like oh my god you are not being crazy that was ridiculous and you are amazing and you are badass and um and 
just from saying what happened and having someone say that, even if you don't even really mean it. Right. Because most of the time we're usually just like, yeah. you are the most badass person in the entire world. I don't care what anybody else says. But we're right. like, oh, my God, I feel so much better. I can go on and I, I can do another day. If all births, you just need, that's what a doula is for. That's yeah. what a doula should be for. Yeah. I was going to say something about that, and I totally and so that, it. But that's why it's like getting using your words to get concerns out. Um, I was thinking about the mom who we went to see who we could tell was really scared of birth. And we would say, so, do you have any other concerns today? And remember the mom that was, she got really scared about shoulder dystocia and she's like, oh, yeah. I'm having these visions yes. that the baby comes out of my body and its head is stuck out How and could its body I ever is stuck forget? in. It was the most horrid vision ever. And she, she went into the, like this very deep detail so that we could see she had been like really on sitting that. on this fear and yeah. she was like crying and laughing at the same time, like hysterical. <laughs> We're like, are you laughing? Are you crying? She's like, ah! I'm doing both because I'm freaking out. But had we not asked about that fear, she just would have sat on that longer. And kept it. Yeah. There's a reason that all moms start in transition. It, It's so, it's crazy to me when I have a mom that doesn't yell, I can't do this. Everybody does Everyone it. Everyone does it because that is how you are feeling. So when you say that or when you yell that, we're, we can immediately then come in and be yeah. like, yes, you can. It's. It's not that you can't do it, but that's how you're feeling and you yes. have to get it out. So all of those feelings should come out. Like if you yeah. can verbalize how you're feeling, then your care provider or your doula, your, yeah. your partner can then validate what you're, what you're thinking and yeah. what you're feeling. And everybody's going to be different about that. I was thinking of an example of a woman who wanted to have a medication-free birth. But she wanted to say her mantra during every contraction, she would hit her leg and go, epidural, epidural, yes. epidural. Yep. And it was like, do you want an epidural? And she's like, no, it just makes me feel better to say it. Right. But for other people, a mention of the word epidural will be like, don't do that. It makes yeah. me want to give up. Oh, I know what I was going to. I was going to say with what you were like, again, Penny Skimpkin has that three R's video. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. when women are like, what can I best do to prepare? I'm like. Don't watch those videos with like the violins. Like try this video. It shows all the different things that women say and do and the way we real act noises. Like real noises. And then you feel validated when you start to do those things. Because it, if you start sounding like a cow and you've never seen a birth video, you're yeah. gonna be like, Oh my god, I sound so ridiculous. I can't possibly I'm just gonna lay here and be tortured. But then if you had seen these videos, mm -hmm. you know this is normal. Yeah. So Seeing women behave in a normal way for birth yeah. will keep you from feeling crazy when yeah. you start doing these and things. And then on the on the flip side of that, say you haven't watched any of those videos and you don't know and you show up somewhere and you're making noises like a cow and your provider goes, oh my gosh, those noises are the best noises you can make. Yes. And then makes those noises with you to help you. You're going to feel validated that that noise is okay, even if you didn't know it was going to happen. On the flip side, if you have a provider that comes in and says, uh, wow, that is something else, or laughs at you, or asks you to be quiet, or says that you're scaring Listen people, her. you're not going to be able to use that tool that's super normal anyway, because now you're going to feel embarrassed. And that's when a provider comes in. I think I talked about this once, but when I was in school in Gainesville, one of my sister midwives, Brenda, who's so amazing and I miss her was teaching a class in the hospital mm -hmm. and I was staying with her overnight once a week when we were in school yep. and I said, Ooh, I'm coming to your class. And she goes, Oh, 
I don't know if you're going to be able to stomach it because she had to teach what the hospital wanted. Yeah. So I happened to go to the class when they did a tour and it was in Shan. So we're walking through labor and delivery and this mom was like, like growling, you know, it was like amazing. And I was in this group of women that were pregnant and they were like looking super concerned. Like every one of their faces was like, holy shit. Yeah. What is that sound? And the nurse like snapped her head to the right. And I said, oh, that is a beautiful sound. Listen to that mama. Just she is so amazing. And the nurse yeah. goes, yeah, well, we don't all feel that way. Oh she needs an gosh. epidural and like turned around and was like, keep going. And I was like, oh, my God. So all those women then were immediately thinking that is not a normal sound. Yeah. If I make that sound, I'm I need an no- epidural. I'm, or if I make that sound, I'm going to be annoying my right. nurse. So which hopefully so, there's they a took, lot of people so worried about that. I know. So I hope that they remembered what I said. And then when they start making that noise, they could say, oh, well, that other person said it was amazing. Yeah. How many women apologize in labor? Oh, oh so, so sorry. many. So many. I'm so sorry for saying that. I'm like, get it out. I just didn't realize it was going to be this loud. And some people, they're not even being loud. But they, <laughs> but in their they mind think they're they being loud. And I'm like, you're not being loud at all. Like, this is normal noises. This is what we like to hear and and I do see even the the partners will feel better because when a mom is being like oh and he'll he'll be kind of like getting tense like oh my god is this okay this is really really cuz it's so powerful it's it can either it's be super so scary intense. or if then you realize no those are powerful noises so when I when I'm like oh my god that is such a beautiful noise and she's doing so well and this is such a good sign that labor is doing what it's supposed to you see them immediately relax and be like okay this is a good thing and not a a bad thing um, so it's time to go to our break and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk more about specific examples of how words affect our births both positively and negatively cue the music. Oh, yeah. So our sponsor for today's episode is once again, our Teespring shop. Do you love cute shirts with birthy sayings on them? Do you love our logo? Would you love to have a mug or a bag with our logo on it? Well, if you like any of those things, then our Teespring shop is the place for you. Um, We will put a link to it in our posts on social media, um, but it's the Wine About Birth Teespring, and we are really trying to raise money in order to get a professional to add closed captions to our YouTube videos so that the deaf community can enjoy our podcast as much as the hearing community. So check out our Teespring shop and um, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Cheers. Welcome back from that delightful break. So we decided that um, we're going to talk about definite examples in births where the things provider said or even other people around them said that either helped or hurt in different situations that you need to take into account when you're trying to help someone when they're giving birth. Yeah, so tell me something that may have contributed to the outcome in a negative way. Um, so... I was thinking about, um, no, you go first because a lot of these are yours. Sorry. You go first. Take your charge. I'm just going to look. So I've had, I mean, we hear a lot of moms say, well, I had a doctor say this to me. So one of those things was you couldn't push a pencil through that pelvis. And I thought, wow, that's a tiny pelvis. But also, 
how is she ever going to feel mm-hmm. like she has a chance to have a vaginal birth? Yeah, and once that seed is planted, um, and you were talking about the client who had the C-section, who, when you transferred... Oh, my, this week? Yeah. Yeah, when she, so she's a tiny little thing, adorable, tiny little thing. And when she walked into that, we transferred her for, because she wasn't progressing and she had been working really hard. But, um, and in my mind, I thought, I don't know if this baby is going to fit this time. I, I never thought, like mm-hmm. her, her pelvis felt very roomy to me. Yeah. But um, this baby, for some reason, it just wasn't working. So I thought there was a chance she's going to have a C-section, but at least she'll go in and maybe she'll have an epidural, have a nap. Maybe they can try, try some, some other stuff. Try some other things. Sometimes that's all you need. And she walked in. It's the fastest C-section I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. They have never, I don't think they've sectioned someone this fast in an emergency where I've said, this mom needs a C-section. And they look at me and say, don't tell me what she needs. Yeah. She'll be fine. So she walked in and they said, oh my gosh, you are entirely too small to birth a child. Just by looking at her. Just looking at her. Yeah. No pelvimetry, no ultra, they didn't even ultrasound to yeah. see what was the baby like was there a cord situation was there just so they could give her some Some knowledge nothing and that baby was out like so soon after she arrived and i thought what is the actual hell there's a a, you know a thing in obstetrics where they think that people that are below like five foot are less likely to be able to push out their babies right and i just want to speak to the fact that i've seen people under five foot that like rock their births and their providers will tell them over and over, I just don't know if you're going to be able to have this baby vaginally because you're you're really short and it just doesn't usually work. I know that happened to my mom a lot because she's uh, only 4'10". But then I've seen these moms that that are that size and they will completely I know some short women that will completely they they will like have hour labors and their babies just yeah. fly out of them I'm only 5'2 and I have babies over 9 pounds yeah. and very fast labors and so planting that seed and we had another mom who that like you were saying that she had been told you, we just don't think you have an adequate pelvis. We just don't think that you can give birth to a baby vaginally and like you said you had been the provider for her at one time where it was like you could tell that that particular baby in that position was not, was not through. working. But she had had that seed planted that she she couldn't give birth and she had right. had two C-sections. And, and so, she went on to completely rock her V-back oh God, after two cesareans. Amazing. Yeah. And so it's the same with this mom. Like this, the people who I was talking to like for support, like you guys are my support people the other midwives in the practice and they were like well it sounded like you thought she may have a cesarean anyway and I'm like yes but I would never say to her you're too small to have a baby because now next time she gets pregnant she's likely to just I hope not we'll be doing postpartum care together we'll talk about it but but also she's happy right now because she did have us there affirming her and like you know just bringing out the best and everything she could do the whole time yeah I'm really hoping it didn't plant the seed that oh look tiny people can't give birth can't give birth especially and it would be fine if she got pregnant again and chose a repeat cesarean because that's what she wanted right but it would be a real shame if she chose to do that just because a seed was planted that that she couldn't do it and maybe the next baby she could so it would just be sad if that was a reason why she did something um that she she wasn't comfortable but i think this is why most people 
end up with repeat cesareans. Most women, I mean, we serve less than 2% of the population. So most women just hear what their provider has to say and they go with it. And the provider, when giving informed consent, like for VBAC, I've heard so many providers where when they give informed consent, they tell you all the risks of a VBAC. Like, you have this percent risk of rupture, and you have this percent risk of um, having a stillbirth, and you have this percent risk of shoulder dystocia. Like, they'll go into all these scary things just about VBAC. But what about the But they won't cesarean? do that for the repeat cesarean. And so that's plant that's using words to plant a seed and steer it in the direction that you want it to go which is the opposite of trusting a woman to make decisions about her own body it's the opposite of informed consent one of the other ones just because it's an easy one is again in the hospital supporting a mom who is doing beautifully and Mm -hmm. one of the nurses looked to her and and said oh my gosh it's not that bad because the mom was vocalizing yeah and i was shocked and so i said to the nurse wow, have you ever had a natural birth? And she said, oh, no, I don't have kids. I'm not doing that. But then the mom heard, like, I'm overreacting. Yeah. It's not that bad. Then obviously something is wrong if I'm in this much pain or if I have to vocalize something is wrong, something's yeah. not right. And then it was just, like, hard for her after that. It's yeah. like whatever that nurse said just stuck it in her brain. Something. I was reading um, online the other day. It was a really good example because – When we talk about birth, we compare it a lot to a marathon or, like, people who choose to run a marathon, um, even though they know it's going to be hard. And they were talking about how when people train for a marathon and then when they go run the marathon, all along the way, they have crowds cheering them on. Yep. And they were talking about, can you imagine if... Before the marathon even started, there was a crowd of people there that was like, I don't know if you're going to make it. Or marathons are really hard. Why would you even want to do this? <laughs> Here, take and this then, shot so you don't feel any pain at all. Yeah. And then at like mile six, there's a car driving next to them going like, wow, that looks really tough. Do you want to just jump in the car? I can get you to yeah. the finish line faster. <laughs> yeah. And then if they get to mile like 20 where, you know, you're hitting the wall, if they're just like, listen, you don't need to be a hero. There's no reason you need to finish this. We don't need any heroes. It's 2020. Just get in the car. Yeah, exactly. And so while people don't need to run marathons, they choose to put their bodies through that because it is something that they want to do. And women choose how to give birth for different reasons. And so... It would be so hard to run a marathon if everyone discouraged you from doing it all along the route. But it happens to pregnant women constantly. They have these negative seeds of doubt planted in their heads all the way through, even when they're pregnant. Like how many people you like to they like to hear without the epidural, or you just hear all the horror stories. No one wants because women aren't interested. Our country is not interested. In boring, happy stories. Like, I don't no. know, I was I was in labor for three hours. It was intense, but I got through it and everything was great. Baby boring, came out and it was beautiful. And then all the people it. that didn't have that happen come out of the work where they're like, oh my God, I hate you because yeah. then this blah, 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 blah happened to me, which is important for them for their processing too. Yes. But it's but. still planting more negative seeds than it is positive And it speaks seeds. to the provider too because, I mean, our practice, Premier Birth Center's transfer rate is somewhere around 10%. Yeah. Which means nine out of ten of our moms are having normal out of hospital birth experiences or 
even the ones that are going into the hospital, like uh, most of still them still co- have vaginal births. Yeah. Or they're, they're feeling good about it. Like yeah. you shouldn't, it shouldn't be so much trauma and scare yeah. and fear around birth. Do you remember when we did our half marathon and yeah. we, were, we were both dying and then uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like we were literally dying a little over halfway through was this hot, beautiful man in a kilt. Playing the bagpipes to cheer yes. everybody on, and I was like, like "Well, what we have is to this? run. We have to run past him. We better pick it up a notch." And then I felt great for oh you know God. five seconds, but just having somebody that we didn't even know yeah. playing music for us was like, "We got this." No, I was I was not being cheered on by you. You were like, "I cannot run it up. My <laughs> knees are literally breaking. I can't, I can't my knees do it." A breaking, and I was like, my I asshole can't. is falling out of my asshole compartment. We were, I were, I kept talking you into walking. I was the opposite of helpful. We finished with the people that planned to walk the entire <laughs> marathon. No, they did. They did run five minutes, walk five minutes, run five minutes, walk no, five minutes. No, there was some people that had just chose to <laughs> just walk the entire thing, and we're like limping in past them. Well, we didn't prepare, okay? We should have taken a marathon class, we still, a preparation you class. You know what? We still finished. We did finish, and we felt so good about it, and we got our t-shirts, and we got a picture with the bagpop guy. Yeah. We, we need did to find we? those pictures. Think, yeah, we have I to find those. I know we have pictures from that trip, but I don't know where they are. Thank you, digital cameras. <laughs> um, yeah. They're so, on Facebook somewhere. So that it just is like one of those things. It's the same thing like uh, when I've been working out. So I have a good friend I used to work out with all the time. And she convinced me that the reason I couldn't do a pull-up was not because I actually couldn't do a pull-up. It was because in my head I didn't think I could do a pull-up. Which I think is totally true because if she even like touched my toes and like didn't give me any weight, her foot finger was just on my toe. You could do it? I could do three pull-ups. <laughs> if she took her finger away from my toe... I could not do any pull-ups. That's like I can't have a contraction without you rubbing my butt. I mean, <laughs> I probably could, but I sure as shit wasn't going to do it. Yeah. So it's like, it makes such a difference. And if you have, or or when she would spot me doing bench presses and, and it would be like, you get to that part where it's like so hard and you're like, I can't, and you're you, shaking. And ah. she's like, just one more, just like touch the bar and then it would all of a sudden shoot up. So it's like, those awesome. power of words can help you like push through that spot. I, I was, quit, um... I quit lifting. I took lifting in high school. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Because I was like the only one in there, like the only girl with Lori. I loved it. Yeah, I did too. (laughs) But I only weighed 112 pounds. That's how much I weighed when I was taking AP weightlifting. And the most I could bench press was 120 pounds. Okay. Which I thought, that's more than I weigh. That's amazing. That's good. Yeah. I couldn't get 125 pounds up or 130. I don't remember what it was. Whatever the teacher wanted me to lift, I couldn't do it. And I tried and I tried and I tried yeah and I could I could like squat anything yeah but not bench press and he gave me a b Ugh. I still bench pressed more than what I could weigh and he gave you a b he still gave me a b because I couldn't get and when he did that I was like so defeated because I felt so good about myself I was yeah. in great shape I was lifting and then he was like yeah well you get a b because you couldn't put this much up and I was like I quit you should have given him an effort f you f you I did oh my and God. then he hit on me and got a, um when we got fake IDs to go to a bar. So that's the kind of person he was. I loved AP <laughs> weightlifting. There was a guy that was an AP weightlifting for me with me that I had a huge crush on and he was so hot. And he'd be like, do you want to, uh, you want to like watch me while I do squats? And I'd be like, yes, okay. I do. <laughs> yes, I will spot you. If that bar falls yes, on I me, will. I'm just going to die. I'm going to be of no help. <laughs> that's but fine. But I'll though. stand behind you. <laughs> I got your back. <laughs> I got your front. 
<laughs> watching men do bench presses. Oh, oh my God. Stop. I can't <laughs> do it. Why do you think I watch Chuck? I'm like, oh, your gym's closed? Let's finagle a bench out here and I'll watch you. And those videos that you sent me oh when he's like, and he's, oh, it's so hot. I love it. Okay. We are digressing. 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 Okay. okay. Tell me something that you saw. Um, so... I wanted to talk a little bit. I don't know how to go from let's talk about something good first because I don't I can't jump right back into these negative things after talking about men's front bumps while doing <laughs> bench presses. Um, you mean my but, only reason for living? Yeah, exactly. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about the sounds like the the sounds and the song and all that? Oh, yes. Yeah. So one of the positive things. We have we had a mom, Nikki and I um, attended her and it was so beautiful and amazing. And she was not from our country, so um, her mother-in-law was there supporting her. Her husband was there, and she, we were encouraging her to make low noises. And instead of laughing like "ha ha, you sound like a cow," the mother-in-law took the um, the pitch of the low noise she was making mm-hmm. and started singing. Yeah, it was so beautiful. And then the husband joined in, and he was using, and he was like the most baritone. He was this huge human being, looking like a Viking. Yeah, and when he laughed, it was like oh, oh, oh. So then he started doing it, and it was just so amazing. The energy that that creates. Oh my god! I like I had goosebumps, and I yeah. just could feel like the power like swirling around her, and it worked. Yeah, and I thought this is fucking amazing. Like, what if yeah. we all had this when we started making weird sounds yeah because it sounds weird but you can actually create energy in a room oh, with your interactions amazing. and your words it's why when you're with good friends that you're comfortable with and you're talking back and forth like you're actually creating energy yeah but you can also suck energy out of a room and make everyone just feel like uh like your vagina was sucking that little ducky it's thermometer exactly it's just like an orb it, of vagina like a black hole but i wanted to talk because you were talking a little bit too about prayer um, oh, yeah, that happened to me this week. Yeah. Uh, so we wanted to talk a little bit about prayer, but then also as providers being conscious of people's religious affiliations because so you tell your prayer story and then I'll say what I'm going to say. So I get um, you guys don't know this. Jess knows I get I'm so sensitive to like faith. Mm-hmm. I think faith is literally like the most beautiful thing on the planet. Especially when you see people that you can see they have well, that's such what I mean. real they ha- like faith yes. in something. Like yeah. if they actually have like true and, and unquestioned faith. It's so beautiful. And I always wish I could like somehow find that um, because it really gets them through everything. You know, mm-hmm. so prayer during a birth hits me every time. I'm like, I'm Yeah. So this mom was like really struggling, like really, really struggling. And she said, I want you to call dad so he could pray for me. And, and the, he was in the building, but mm-hmm. not in the birth. So I'm with them. And they. she made the phone call. And she said, I just need you to pray for me. And he started praying. And I have to, I, I admit it, Katie wrote it in her calendar to come up next year. I started crying. I Aww. got so overwhelmed. I just burst into tears. And I ran out of the room before anybody could see me. Before anybody could see me. And I was like, oh, God, Katie. Katie, I'm crying and I can't stop. And she put it in her calendar and it was amazing. But it was so beautiful because listening to him pray for her and she had such faith, you could see that her whole demeanor changed. Like she got a whole new energy. So it it produced that, that even like regardless of what you believe, if if you have that faith, it's going to produce that hormonal response like of yes, I'm being taken care of and yes, this is good. It It was just, I love 
prayer at a birth for people who actually have. It's just so, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. So I was thinking that on the opposite side of that spectrum, like for somebody who has a strong faith, that would help them in labor. But as a provider, you have to be really careful too, because if you start using words that you would use to someone who prayer would be helpful to them it's not going to be helpful to them and it might it's going to be the opposite it might well you have an experience with that don't you I'm not I don't want to talk not really with prayer necessarily although um I know like in my birth I I was offered to have someone pray for me uh while I was before I transferred but it wasn't a person who shared the same Yes. So I so Believe. while I didn't say no to the prayer, it made me feel more uncomfortable than comforted. Um, and then I was also thinking about a situation where I was at a birth and it was a twin birth. And this mom, uh, she did not celebrate birthdays. And I knew that. And she did not want to have her babies on two separate days. And that's what was happening. The one baby was born and then she stayed pregnant for a long time. And her, her other baby was born on the next day. And the other midwife there who didn't know her well, because sometimes when you're having an out-of-hospital birth with twins, you call in extra providers to help. So this midwife did not know her well, did not know she doesn't celebrate birthdays. And so this mom had just been complaining about how she didn't want her babies born on two separate days. And this midwife comes in and she's just like, oh my gosh, you can make it so much fun. You can throw separate birthday parties for them on separate days. And you can just really (laughs) do it up. And you can get them different birthday cards on different days and birthday presents and birthday this and birthday that. And And and, so many candles to blow out. And and yes, and you can each have each cake and you can blow out their candles on separate days. And this mom, her face, and I know this, and I'm like, oh God. And this mom who's been in like- Abort, abort vision. She's looking at her like- there's literal daggers like coming out of her eyes and she's like not she doesn't say anything about it but I was like oh so it is good to know that's um I made that mistake quite recently I made a joke about um I said oh I'll I'll pray to him or her I haven't figured it out yet and I and I laughed and I left the room only to immediately find out they were a very conservative Christian family yeah and I had said it to their mother because she was like joking with me about something yeah and then I was like oh yeah uh so I'm sorry if my previous comment was offensive and she's like no 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 I didn't take it that way but I was still like I'm yeah. so embarrassed oh, I can't believe that I did was that me putting my foot in my mouth but <laughs> yes you should know these things because prayer is so helpful and beautiful mm-hmm. but it can also be you know not helpful because different people because faith is so personal so personal that when you're dealing with people that you're not part of their everyday life it's like you have to be so careful like pulling the faith card yeah I had um there's a I had a client a while back that her daughter used to pray for me every night at dinner when they had their she's like I just want you to know that when we say grace and we she says and thank you for my midwife and it just makes me so happy I'm like yes and then somebody apologized for praying for me when they realized that I struggle with the whole faith and yeah. I was like are you kidding me I love prayer yeah. power of prayer send it to me everybody pray for me <sighs> it's beautiful you should just post that on Facebook every once in a while I should prayers please for <laughs> nothing in general just <laughs> send them my way <laughs> but not if they're sarcastic they don't want the sarcastic <laughs> prayers <laughs> is that a thing can you have a, sar- a real sarcastic prayer I don't know yes 
Bless oh her gosh. heart. That's sarcastic. <laughs> Bless your heart. Mm. Oh gosh. Um, what else did we write down? So I wanted to talk about and and this is a, this is super serious. We were just laughing, but it is one of the the worst things you can do to a, a parent, and it's when providers pull what I call the dead baby card. Oh my god! So when it's like they are trying to get you to do a specific intervention, whether that intervention is warranted or not. Say they want you to be induced at forty weeks, and a mom feels uncomfortable with it, and sometimes mom will be like, "I don't know, I feel uncomfortable with that." And then the providers will be like, well, you know, I once had this person who they could have been induced at 38 weeks and they had a stillborn at 39 weeks, like completely not evidence based, whether or not that experience actually happened or, you know, the risk of stillbirth goes up this much after this week. And, And so it's like. Basically saying, okay, but your baby might die, and that makes you a bad mom. So right. your your feelings on this don't really matter. And there are times where we do have to give that risk, but it can be done without... Not in a shamey way. Right. Like you're trying... People know when you're trying to manipulate them. And it, But it still works. Yeah. I mean, that's... You know, when my mom was like, oh my God, what if she's 11 pounds and there's a dystocia and she dies? Mm-hmm. And I know better... As a provider, yeah. but it still gets in your head. And yes. I was like, oh my God, what if this happens? What if she dies? And yeah. she didn't. But um, I do sometimes have to say, this is a risk, this, this, including death. And I need you to know that so that you can make a full, yes. you know, a full educated decision. But it doesn't sound, I don't feel that it sounds threatening coming from me. You know, Yeah, because it's the way that you, I mean, there's risk involved with birth no matter what you do. So if you're doing it in a way, it's like, I want you to have all the information so you can make a decision that feels good for you. Um, then that people are going to take that a lot differently than trying then, okay, to coerce well, just them. know that death is a risk. But if you're okay with that, then I guess we'll move on. If you're okay with your baby dying, then I'm okay with then it check too. check this box right here, thumbprint and signature. Exactly. Like that's never, that's I've never, never okay. heard that said for circumcision. Although no, it should be. It it should be. Yeah, actually, I did hear that a short a story that I can't share of providers in Winchester actually now against circumcision and saying things very similar to that. Yes, so, at least there's that. Yes, because <laughs> but that's ba- not okay either. I mean, it just makes us giggle behind the scenes. I think it is okay because I think it is okay to tell people that your baby could bleed out and that that's a real risk of circumcision is bleeding too much. And so not that you should use it to coerce or scare people, but I also don't think it's right to withhold information because when, if something bad does happen, then people are like, well, no one ever told me that was a possibility. So it's like a really, it's like a small, it's a fine line of giving information and trying to sway people to what you want them to do. And then we're getting close to the end of our episode, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, coercing people into pain medication because that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, And so I haven't seen this happening as much. I don't know if it's only with just my clients when I happen to be there. But well, because they have a doula to take care of it. Yeah, but that thing used to happen where it'd be like, like you talked about from your birth. Well, if you don't get the epidural now, it's going to be too late, and then you can't get it. And then you can't get it, which just... Then all you can think of is, oh, my God, how much worse is it going to get? Yeah. So that's also another way that people use language to scare you about what's coming up in the birth process. I think a long time ago, though, and the moms have to know to say this, but um, when I, even when I had 
Oscar, they asked if I wanted pain medication, and I said no. And they said, well, we can write down not to offer it to you. So they wrote it yes. on my board, do not offer. So nobody offered it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I begged for it, but nobody offered it. Yeah. And then I still didn't get it. So yay. <laughs> also not yay. <laughs> so however you feel about that now. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so, you can ask them to write that on your board. And then they, they shouldn't ask you for it afterwards. Yeah. And so like, so when it comes down to birth, and parenting, I feel like we're, we're going towards a place in our culture where we're continuously trying to be more mindful of the way the things we do impacts other people. And sometimes you do have to say things that somebody's not going to like. And there's still a way you can do that in a mindful way. Um, but for people, it's just like, to, to wrap it up... Um, <laughs> like a deal. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> I saw you thinking about it. <laughs> I did. My eyes popped up. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, so the words you use with yourself are important. So pick some mantras, write them out, or, or just think them in your head, and then make sure you're using them yeah. because they do make a huge difference. And it's why journaling journaling really does work. And it's also a lot of the reason why I like the Hypno Babies things because even if you don't go to the whole full point of, like, doing full hypnosis for birth sometimes just hearing those like their tracks of like my baby's healthy and I know how to give birth and my baby's not too big for my body it plants those positive seeds inside your head so the way you use words really does affect you and the way your partner talks to you can really affect you the way your the people you choose to hire to be with you when you give birth really can affect you so be mindful of that so that you can help make choices, the ch place where you feel the safest, with the people that you feel the safest, um, and share share some of these things with your providers if you feel comfortable. Like, share the things that you don't want said. Share a little bit about your religious preferences if you feel comfortable doing that so that you can get the best support possible so that when the time comes when you need that support, um, we can be as helpful as possible. Yes. Um, do you have anything else to say about this, Kim? I don't think so. I just think it's important to know, um, to plan in advance and really talk to, you know, like choosing your birth team and talking to them about the words that work for you and words that don't. It's just so important to try to plan for it in advance and then pay attention to how words are affecting you during your birth. I mean, you hit a point where you really can't think anymore. Yeah. Um, but hopefully the people around you know better and and keep it positive. Keep it positive. Keep it positive. Keep it uplifting, baby. Like everyone's pregnancy test that keeps us in business. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and also, Kim, thank you for always being there to let me use my words to bitch. And yes. using your words to make me feel awesome. Thank you for using your words to validate all of my feelings. Even if they're not warranted, you still make me feel like a better human being because you tell me right away how awesome I am. Yes. Yes. My life partner. Ah, it's great stuff. <laughs> Everybody needs one. And we should call Meredith after this so that we can validate her and all yes. the things she's still continuing to go through. Let's do that. But the only other thing we have to say is enjoy your birth experiences. We hope that you can get the most out of your birth experience no matter what happens. And other and than that, also, cheers. cheers. Plastic. Too much plastic.